So we're on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I was chatting with someone over the weekend. I was like, okay, this is my 11th preach on this series, and I, I actually can't see the end yet. So it's, it's interesting. But before we get into Jesus' commands, remember Jesus is about to enter into this place where he's going to go, um, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I am, I'm letting you know, it's just the truth coming from God. This is the do not hate your brother. And he's going to go into these lists of commands. And before we get there, I want to provide a landscape on which we can interpret what he's saying. I know we've already done some of that, but I want to put another landscape on that. And so I've got a lot of scriptures this morning, and most of them I've put up. Is this working now? No. There's so much brain power between those two gentlemen there. Um, all right, and so let's go. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. We say, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And as you can see, the text describes this as a prophetic word coming from Isaiah. And it's talking of John. The interesting thing is that this is quoted in all four Gospels. From a New Testament scholarship perspective, that is significant. And without me going into all those details, it's saying to just pay attention to this because it's mentioned all four times. And uh, the word way is a Greek word called chodas. Am I doing Greek? Uh, Steve? Chodas. Okay, it's like, like you're going to put on the window, you're going to put a little... Chodas, that's why it's got a little on the top there. And what it means is a road, a journey, a pathway that we undertake. But it's got a metaphoric way or, or description or meaning to it too. And it's a word picture describing a way of life. And it's important for us to understand that because it's throughout the Bible. And the journey that we take is, is this journey that we live into. And we develop these behaviors, these value systems, the way in which we walk out our lives. And it becomes a lifestyle in which we walk. Here's the crazy thing. This word is mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament. Over 60 times in the Gospels alone. Obviously, when Jesus was here on earth. And Jesus himself describes this hodas as follows. Enter through the narrow gate. This is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 for those who may listen to the podcast. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the hodas, the road, that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the hodas, the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So really Jesus is saying there's more than one road. There's more than one journey. There's more than one way in which we can live out our lives. There's one that's very wide and many follow it, but it ends in destruction. But my way, the way that I've described, is very narrow, but it leads to life itself. And few find it, which is an unfortunate comment right at the end. Even the Pharisees. These guys who were the, the leaders, the religious leaders of the time, they understood that Jesus, as you can see by the text behind me, that he had a way. Matthew 22, verse 15. And they come to him and they say, Teacher, you know, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way, the hodas, of God according to the truth. And so what we see is that this word Hodas is an important understanding of the way that we live out our Christianity. Do you know that Christianity wasn't even termed? until way into past Jesus' crucifixion. Christianity wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. And I'm going to show you this in a moment. The church followers were called the people who were following the way, of, or just the way. It wasn't even the way of Christ. It was the way. 
I'm going to give you a few samples of the 101 times it's used in the New Testament. And by the way, the Hebrew equivalent was used 707 times in the Old Testament. So let's have a quick look, and I'm going to rush through these. We can see here in Acts chapter 9, we see Saul was on his way to Damascus. Remember, he was killing Christians. He was there when Stephen died and got stoned to death. And you can see he's going to Damascus, and he says, so that he may find anyone there belonging to the way. Not Christianity, not the church, but the way. Paul evangelized in Ephesus once he came to salvation and Jesus knocked him off his horse and blinded him and all those things. He's now evangelizing in Ephesus and it says, but some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The rites in Ephesus, we can see that there was a disturbance because of the way. We can see that Paul was arrested and he speaks to the crowd and he says, I used to persecute followers of the way. Paul before Felix, Acts chapter 24, verse 4. He says, however, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. What's the point, Gary? The point is is this this isn't some throwaway word or some throwaway metaphorical picture of what this word hodas means. Jesus is trying to speak to us and he's trying to tell us that this is a major biblical theme. 707 times in the Old Testament, 101 times in the New Testament. And he speaks of it time and time again and even calls the way that followers follow him is a way. And the way that he's chosen us to follow. So hidden in plain sight, we Westerners often miss that Jesus has this way of life in which we should be living out. It's not a set of ideas, although it is. It's more than that. It's more than theology. It's not just a set of, oh, do's and don'ts. Yes, it is, but it's way more than that. It's not a set of ethics. It's a lifestyle. Many of us here, we've, we've seen this morning, have grown up in church. And we've been told how to believe, what to believe, and what to do. Very little has been spoken about lifestyle and how we live out our life. And yet Jesus is telling us that if we follow his way, we receive the very life of God as a result. Let's have a look. John chapter 24, sorry, John chapter 5 verse 24. He says, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That eternal life can be translated, you have life of the age to come. The ultimate life, which is God himself. And, and it's not just this, this quantity of life, but it's a quality of life that we can live in right now. That's why the kingdom of God has come right now. The way of Jesus is here right now, and we can enter in and receive all of what he has for us. How about John 10 verse 10? I've come that they may have life and life to the full. And then obviously the kicker and the one that wins the prize, John 14, 6, which we know so well. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So it's clear from Scripture that that all of this is that when we follow the way of Jesus, we stumble into the life of Christ. We stumble into who He is. When we follow His lifestyle, when we do what He did, we land up following and and really stumbling into the life that He has for us, and it's life to the full. The interesting thing is is we believe and we follow. And and I want to address this thing of belief because it's the same as love. People say, oh, I love lemon meringue pie. That's not love. Oh, I love watching rugby. No, that's not love. I I love Louise. And we've been together. Exactly. We've been together over 20 years. Coming up to our 20. Come on, tell me. (gasps) Three, she doesn't even know. 24 years. Exactly. Yes, in January. Almost 24 years. I feel loved right now. 
No numbers, yeah. The point is, is that the love is, is a decision to stick with each other because we made a vow before God in covenant marriage to actually journey this life together. That's love. Love is preferring another. Not just agreeing. We, we can agree that when we watch an airplane fly over us, we go, I agree that I could get on that plane and fly to wherever. I, I can agree with that because I know about it. Some of us have flown. Some of us maybe haven't flown in an airplane. But you know that it flies. I don't know how the aerodynamic works and how a piece of metal that big stays in the air, but with thrust and with all those good things, it stays in the air. So I know about that. You're all sitting on a chair because you believe that that chair, you've kind of had an ascent to but do you really believe in it? Do you trust in it? Because there's the, the Greek word is pistuo, I believe. Uh, come on. And, and it's to put your trust in. It's to commit to, and then by implication that you start to act it out. See, most of us go, no, I, I know about that, and, and I agree with it, but are we actually doing that? Because there was a day when I went parachuting with Bruce, and I had to commit to and agree with that this parachute was going to hold me up and that I wasn't going to fall out the sky and become what he calls a meatball. What is it? A meat bomb. A meat bomb. I think you look like a meatball if you had to hit the ground with, at that speed, but nevertheless. So, so if I want to experience, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to live the lifestyle of Jesus. It's actually as simple as that. It's, it's simple arithmetic. Even Louise can understand that. And I, I use that because she was saying she does, she's not good with numbers. How, how do we adopt the rhythms of Christ? Like, what, is, what is your morning like? What is your afternoon? What is your evening like? What is your week like? What is your month like? What is your year like? Are you adopting a rhythm in which Christ is center of that? Where the community, his bride, is the center of how you live out your life because that's how Jesus lived out his lifestyle. Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your time? Because that will indicate whether or not you're doing that. Because whether you like it or not, your life is a bright, is your life and the life that you are experiencing is a byproduct of your lifestyle. Stephen Covey, some of you know, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. We achieve inner peace when our schedules are aligned with our values. I remember teaching Seven Habits for Highly Effective People when I was still at Deloitte. And, and one of the things that I, that I had a revelation of, because we, I had these, these young accountants who were going, you know, gee, you know, Deloitte's work us so hard, and you know, they, they're this and they're that, and you know, we have to work hard. And what they had done is what you do is when you set up your put first things first, which is one of the, the first principles that he puts in place in the Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, it says, um, you, you ask guys, okay, write down all the values. What do you value? What is important to you? And of course, everybody would have family and relationships right up there. And most people would have it as number one. So then I would ask the question. I would say, okay, so who's living out that value? No, I'm not, I'm not living out that. Why? Because Deloitte demands so much of our time. So then I said to them, oh, no, no. So what you're really telling me is that you value your career more than your family. The light bulb goes on. No, what do you value? And are you living that out? Or are you living in that stress where... You want to be this, but you're living out over here, and the gap in between is what you are feeling, a stress in your life, because you're not living out what God's called you to do. You're not living out your values, and there's no peace. So, three goals that we're going to set this morning. Let's be like Jesus, or be with Jesus. Let's become Jesus, or become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. It's as simple as that. And the first thing is, is be with Jesus. What does that look like? Well, are you reorientating your life? Because we have a culture that crashes in on us that demands our time and our energy and our attention all the time. 
Maybe you have four kids like us. Just the kids alone. Maybe, guys, you have a high-maintenance wife like I do. And, and I mean that in the best possible way. But just that alone. And, and then I'm working, and, and the time and attention. And then leading a church, the time and attention, a building project. Thank goodness for Charmaine and Dale and Paul, who fill in the gaps. But the point is, is here we are, that life is so busy. And, but am I reorientating my day around to be with Jesus? What does it look like? What, what does your day look like? Are you just getting up going, bah, 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 bah? Or are you just getting up a little earlier, reading some scripture, engaging God? And then halfway through the day, maybe 10 o'clock, you've got a reminder on your, on your watch or your phone or whatever it is, and it goes, hey, time with Jesus. And you take that five minutes and you go downstairs, maybe into the parking lot in, in the building that you work in, and you just get some time out and you go, Jesus, oh my word, this day it stinks. Thank you, I have you. And I'm reorientating and I'm becoming more aware of who you are. And then lunchtime happens and you, you meet up with people and you go, and then three o'clock comes and it's tea time. And you go, you know what, guys, it's tea time. I'm going back down to my car and I'm going to sit in my car again. I'm going, Jesus, help me finish the last two hours of this day. Let me engage you. Let me read another psalm. Let me, let me read a devotional. Let me, time of silence, let me re-engage, reorientate my life around you. Before I go to bed at night, let me close my eyes and, and let me engage you and say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for protecting my kids. Thank, thank you for my wonderful wife who, who serves me and loves me the way she does. Sometimes I don't know why and how, but thank you. And Lord, when I have a good night's rest tonight, and, and let me sleep well, wake up, and then I wake up in the morning and the first thing I think of is Jesus. Morning, Lord. Thank you for an amazing night's sleep. What was that dream I had? Gee, that was weird. Can you, Holy Spirit, why don't you speak to me about what that means? What, what do I need to do today? You see, we, we live such busy lives that, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of fade off and then I think, I haven't even engaged God for like 10 days. Oh, I might have prepared a preach and I might have brought you a preach, but that's not the point. Am I living a lifestyle of engaging to be with Jesus? Because when I'm with him, I become like him. And then the moments that I come up against these things, it's like this, this compass. You know, if, I, if you have a compass and you turn around, no, it always reorientates back to magnetic north. Magnetic north. No matter what you're doing in your life, are you reorientating your life? Are you retraining your brain? Many of us have got into habits and we go, oh, I can't hear God. Well, number one, that's a lie because God's speaking all the time. But how are you going to retrain, retrain your brain to engage God and be aware of Him on, any, on a daily basis. Secondly, to become like Jesus. How do we become like Jesus? This is where our work and our faith intersect. That's why James says, well, you, show me your, you say, show me your faith. No, no, show me your works and, and then I'll know that you've got faith. Because our work, what we do and who we are, should intersect with what we say we believe. And that's the problem with our Christianity across the, the global um, family is that many go, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not walking in the way of Jesus. I don't see Jesus in you because you're doing exactly what the world is doing. Do you know that the greatest thing that you can give God and give the people around you is to become more like Jesus? Do you know that the only thing that you take to heaven is each other? Do you know the only thing that you take to heaven is the character who you become here on earth. So the more that I'm like Jesus, it's the more that I take through to heaven of him and who he has made me to be. And the best gift that I can be to you is to be with Jesus 
and to become like him and that who I am and how I walk out is more like Jesus because I take you to heaven and you take me to heaven. That's it. Don't take any of these clothes. Don't take this. Don't take my car. Don't take anything else, but simply our relationships. And so success isn't how many Facebook friends you've got, how much money you've got, but it's the relationships that we invest into and it's the man or woman that you become that you take into eternity. Thirdly, do what Jesus did. Now, I don't know how many of you are in, involved in um, some kind of, um, I mean, I know Jamie's does the building and stuff, but they, you, whether you're an apprentice or were an apprentice at some point, if you were a plumber, what did you do? You were an apprentice of a plumber. And your goal was to ultimately be able to plumb a house. Not just put a little pipe together and do whatever, but to be able to put something together like that. Or electrician, to be able to understand how all of that stuff works, the positives and negatives and neutrals and lives and all those kind of things. And what happens when they're Dutch and they blow up and Eben knows all that. I just say, Dad, what's going on? Oh, okay, can you sort it out? But if you're an apprentice and you understand, you're learning to be and to actually achieve a goal in your life around those things. We are called to grow and mature. We are called not just to stay as an apprentice, but to move into, and we're always going to be apprentice of Jesus, hear what I'm saying. But it's to grow into that, to be able to do more of what he said and what he's called us to do. He's called us to do all of these things. He's called us to heal the sick. He's called us to prophesy over people and speak words of wisdom and revelation over them. He's called us to eat with people who are not part of the kingdom and not be influenced by them, but for us to influence them. That's how we do the things of Jesus. I don't know about you, but becoming fit and having a six-pack, even at my age, hey, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thought. Even the kids coming up and Jordy and his mates, they're all trying to get the six-pack. But the testosterone hasn't flowed fully yet, and so they, they're still skinny and whatever the case is. But God's going to fill them out. But, but we all have this great idea of being fit, isn't it? So over the season, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm losing weight. I, I'm, I've got to a point where my, my unhappiness about where my weight has been versus where I want to be has transcended myself into a place where, okay, I'm going to train for 94.7. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to eat better. And I'm getting better and better at it. Not there yet. But I, I've, I've lost since holiday, I've lost four and a half kilograms. So I'm going, okay, so I need to train and I need to be good. So this week, I go to a cadence session in Grand Slitcher, but I, I think Anthony was at, at the same one. And we do 14 30-second sprints with 10 seconds rest, and we do them, was it four times? Three times. I think it was three times. It was three times. But the last one, they upped it. There's a point where you think, my heart's going to just pop out of my mouth onto the floor. I can't breathe, and you're so tired, but you know that you are, I'm training for 94.7. I can't get out on the road, and it's dangerous, so I'm sitting on this bike, and there's this whole process going. And then the next day, I go swimming, because I'm swimming masters, and I've got a big gala coming up. And I get into the water, and they, they make us do six, one, no, it was a 10 150s, which is six lengths of a 25-meter pool, uh, with, a, with pool boy and paddle on, on every two minutes, 15 seconds. And then straight after that, we do 12, 25 sprints at 100% on 30 seconds. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at the pool, and I'm going, I feel like my breakfast is about to be given to whoever wants it on the side of the pool. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? This, the, we've all got this great idea of what it looks like, but when we actually have to do it, and, and then there's this pastry which has custard. A, a custard pastry is my nemesis. Well, lemon meringue is, but like a, a breakfast, a coffee, and a custard Danish. Oh, my word. That is my epitome. But now I've got to go, no. 
Get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and have more fruit. And I'm getting there. And I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm eating more fish. And I'm not eating as much meat. And slowly but surely, you start to feel better. And you, you start to feel like, hey, my body's coming back the way it used to be. And I'm starting to lose weight. And maybe I won't ever have that six-pack again. But the point is, is I know that I'm feeling more and more healthy. But let me put this into our spiritual formation perspective. Because we've just talked about our physical thing. But how many of us are in that same place from a spiritual formation perspective? I so desperately want to be like Jesus and be with Him and do all of those things. But you know what? It's just too much hard work. It's just too much hard work. Oh, I love the Lifehouse community and I want to be part of it. But it's just too much hard work getting out of bed on a Sunday morning and getting there. It's too much hard work going out during the week and being part of a life group and, and giving into that context and, and loving on people and doing what I want to do. And you know what? We, cheat, we treat the bride of Christ as a hobby. We treat the bride of Christ as a hobby rather than an intricate part of our lives because it's the way of Jesus. This is what Jesus said. Ah, okay. Matthew, and I've said this a few times in the series. Matthew 5 verse 19, he's talking about the fact, and I'm going to pick it up just at the bottom there. It says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in my kingdom. Teaches and practices, not tries it. And then in Matthew 7, 24, which is the end of the sermon, he says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams arose, the winds blew and beat against it, and the house, it fell with a great crash. Okay, everyone can go home now. That was the end of Jesus' sermon. He's been sitting with them, I don't know for how long, but probably a couple of hours on the side of the mountain, and that's how he finishes the Sermon on the Mount. Cheers, guys. See you later. Imagine me finishing off the sermon right now. You know what? If you don't follow the practices of Jesus, your life is going to come crashing down. Good luck for you. Goodbye. He's trying to emphasize that we are about practice. We, we are about, so many of us, how do we live out this lifestyle of Jesus, the way, the hodas of Jesus right now, in Johannesburg 2017? Well, hopefully I can give you some keys right now, but the point that I'm trying to make is stop trying so hard and maybe train a bit more. How many of you want to get on the bike and ride 94.7, even if it's just to do it? I did it two years ago. With a cup, I think I trained three times. I went out on a ride three times, and I got on the bike. Kieran was towing the poor chariot that I was supposed to help push. You can ask him. And coming up halfway uh, up the Rosebank, my thighs seized. Some of you were at the halfway point. You saw me. I was not a happy chappy, and I still had to finish that race. Okay, I finished it, but I didn't help Kieran anything. Eh? Why? Because my legs had seized because I did not train. So you can try ride 94.7, and you know what, you may, you, you may do it. And it may be an absolute miracle that God forms in your life to finish that race without any training. But that's all it is. It's a miracle. It's not a lifestyle. It's not getting on the bike. This year I've learned, I learned last year. I went and I did cadence because I, I couldn't get out every weekend because my kids are swimming and I'm with them and that kind of stuff. So I, let me just make sure that my legs are ready for this. Yesterday we did 50 Ks, 30 of it pushing and, and, and Karen pulling the, the chariot. He's pulling that chariot the whole 94.7 this time. He needs to train. 
because otherwise we're going to hit 50 Ks and guess what's going to happen? His legs are going to seize. I've got to train because I'm pushing that thing. And some of those hills, I mean, Barrett's not here this morning, but some of those hills you go, when is it going to end? And you, you're holding on the side of that and you're pedaling and you're, you're, you feel your legs are, are starting to go. But how many of us do that with our Christianity? Oh, we're going to try it. L- let me try journaling. And then you spend an hour journaling and it's the last time you do it because you go, that doesn't work. Now how about just starting small? Just journal one thing. Boom, boom. Pray. Maybe just, you know that Jesus' prayer, and I'm going to preach on this in the not too distant future, was that the Lord's prayer is 24 seconds long. 24 seconds. This is how you should pray. Okay, so 24 seconds. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. 24 seconds. Not as a ritual. I'm coming in the presence of God. Maybe just, Lord, let your, king, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in my life. Today, as I go into this meeting, may the fruits of the Spirit be expressed. Won't you show me what I need? Maybe it's self-control. Maybe it's just patience. Maybe I need to extend love to somebody. How do I do this? How's my lifestyle? I'm aware of you. I'm aware of Holy Spirit. You're here with me. What do I need to say? How do I need to say about it? How do I need to go about it? I'm not just going to try it. I'm going to keep training. I'm going to keep every week getting on the bike. I'm going to keep every week getting in the pool. I started swimming three years ago again. I realized my stroke was terrible. I'd lost certain things. But the guys that I've been swimming with, they go, geez, your stroke has improved dramatically. Why? Because when you're swimming, you don't, don't just swim like this. There is a whole technique around right now what the latest technique is. If you're going to swim freestyle, for those who are triathletes and whatever, swim from your hips. Don't swim from your shoulders. Why? Because you don't see a golfer just, or maybe Lee Trevino, but you don't see a golfer just using, no, no, there's a, there's, the hips come through. It's the same thing with swimming. Are you pulling your hips through and actually driving your shoulders? Do you see what I'm trying to say? We're training. Let's bring it back to spirituality. Are you spending time praying? Are you coming to our prayer times and coming and, and giving what God is, is saying to you? Little bits, little bits, little bits, little bits. And then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I can ride 94.7. Hey, Gary, I've got a word in my heart. Can I come share it with the community? Of course you can. Why? Because I've seen you training. And I see that you're going to get up here and, and not fall over and go, oh, I don't know what to say. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Everyone's looking at me as if I'm a little bit crazy. I've gone straight off my notes. I have no idea where I am. All right. So, maybe you struggle with bitterness in your heart towards somebody or something. Maybe you struggle with with some form of lust. Maybe you, you struggle with with unforgiveness around certain things. Stop trying so hard. Maybe tomorrow just get up five minutes earlier and read your Bible for two minutes and just spend time in silence and solitude and see what God says to you. Just read one verse. Maybe pick up a journal and start journaling what God's saying. Don't have to do essays. Maybe just a paragraph. Maybe just one sentence. Maybe just one wo- a couple of words. Gary, I love you. That's all you need to hear from the Father tomorrow. Start training. Start training because what God's got for us when we get onto that land, we've got 70,000 people arriving at Stain City in the next decade. We are on the main drag through to Lanseria. 
God's presence is going to stop traffic on that road. Are we ready to accept and to disciple the people that are coming? How about mid-morning? Put a reminder. My kids say to me, look at my calendar. Dad, what is that? I've got that time with my father. 10 o'clock. Reminds me 15 minutes before and at the moment. Okay. Do I do it every time? No, I'm not perfect. I'm still training. 3 o'clock, I've got the same thing. Time with my father. Do I do it every day? No, I don't. But I'm getting better and better at it. Just stop. Become aware of him. Become aware of Jesus. Become aware of Holy Spirit around you. <sighs> Whether you're having a good or bad day, stop. Become aware. What, is your, what, what does your day look like? What does your evening look like? What does your week look like? How about that you block out a 24-hour time every single week and take a Sabbath? Rest in Him, worship Him, spend time with your family, with your spouse. Uninterrupted, unhurried. And maybe you can't do 24 hours. Well, start with a morning. Start with a breakfast with your spouse. Start with a moment where you can spend time with your kids and play Monopoly. Yes, we've played Monopoly recently. How about sharing a meal with somebody in the community? Hey, come over. How about going to somebody's house, spending time with them, doing something within the community, and then bringing your tithes and your offerings when God has blessed you through what you've earned, and you come and you bring it to the storehouse. See, what we're doing is we, be, we start to, in this process, instead of trying to try hard, it is impossible to overcome those things. Whether you have bitterness in your heart, whether you have issues of lust or whatever, it is impossible to overcome them through trying. But when we're with Jesus, what will happen is He'll deal with the bitterness in our hearts. Because why? We've adopted the lifestyle. And you know what happens? When we're on his hodas, when we're on his way, Jesus comes and deals with it as a byproduct of the lifestyle that we've adopted. His life comes. Now lastly, the whole of this sermon, and I've said this in the prayer meeting, the problem again with, with taking the Greek words and the Greek language, the Koine Greek, and translating it into English is it doesn't describe plurals very well. So when it says, and you have heard it said, that you is you all. It's a, it's, it's a plural. And it's very clear in Greek that it's talking to plurality, to more than one person. It's not saying you, Peter. So when the sermon comes, it's not just about me. The lifestyle, the way, the hodas of Jesus is not just for the individual or the person in this individualistic, self-centered world that we live in. The hodas is a lifestyle of community that we can only be on the road, on the hodas, on the journey of Christ, adopting his lifestyle if we do it together. And it's important to understand that. So in that process, because what's important is that how many baptisms do we have in the Bible, in the New Testament? Five. Close. Some people will just say one. And what is baptism? When I say baptism, we all think of water, don't we? Because that's what we do. We, it's part of the baptism of showing people but we, it is six if you include the baptism of water. But there's five others. Let's have a look at them. And I'm not going to go into all of them. I'm just highlighting them. Why? Because we've just done the foundation for teachers, and we're going to start to roll this out every single block because we're going to have a lot more teachers and not just Steve. So baptism into fire, that's transforming your gifting. I'm not going to go into it. But I'm wanting to just to give you some highlights so that you go and do the foundations. When you get baptized in fire, it'll transform the gifting God has given you. Suffering transforms. When you get baptized into Christ's sufferings, it transforms your relationships. I'm not going to go into it. 
When you get baptized in the Spirit, it changes your theology, your thinking, your worldview. Again, I'm not going to go into it. When you get baptized into Jesus, it changes who you are. You're a different person. You're a new creation. And then lastly, the baptism into the church, which transforms your career. And I'm going to come, in, come back to that because that's where we are at the moment. Do you know that baptism has got very little to do with water? In fact, nothing to do with water. And what it has to do with is an expression of faith which transforms us. Well, what do you mean, Gary? Well, what I mean is if you look at the baptism of, of the Israelites, they're in Egypt. They get baptized in the Red Sea. They come out and they are transformed. They were once slaves. They are now free in God to do what God has called them to do. No longer kept, taken captive by the Egyptian people. And that, that is the process. But the next process is that there is also, so you can see the transformation, is that there's often a second baptism where you get baptized, and in this case, Israel get baptized into the Jordan, into the land of their inheritance. Do you know that God has got a point of time for every single one of you? Remember Abraham in particular. Where's my son? Okay, well, let me, let me sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, and let me produce an Ishmael. That wasn't what God wanted for him. And then Isaac comes along, and it's only when that moment comes, there's an appointed time where he says, go and kill your son. And, he, and he, he says, immediately Abraham gets up, and he goes to sacrifice Isaac to God. And God stops him, and he says, now that I know, don't kill your son, but now I declare an oath over you. There are so many Christians who have been baptized from, their salvation has come. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've come out. They are free. They're no longer you know, slaves to sin and death. And they are free from that perspective. But very few go through the second baptism into the appointed time that God has for you, into the inheritance that God has for you. The Bible talks about rewards and inheritance. Rewards are for the, the life to come. When we, at the consummation of this age, when it all gets shut down, there are rewards that get given to us. The things that we have done in our bodies in faith. And the things that we've done in this body, by the way, that body that it's talking about is talking about the local body that you're in. You get rewarded for what you do in a community. Not while you with me, myself, and Jesus. Now we have this inheritance that we live out here right on earth where God takes us into and gives us an inheritance. Very few of us are going through that second baptism to that appointed time. Okay, Gary, but how do we do that? I'm glad you asked that question because this is what I'm going to end off with. Do you know that when Jesus was baptized, God affirmed him and basically affirmed his sonship? What did he say? This is my son whom, you love, whom I love and I'm well pleased with you. Do you know when we baptize ourselves into the community or get a baptism of fire or baptism of suffering, do you know that what that does is we will always share the affirmation of the Father. Gary, you are my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. And when we baptize ourselves into that place and we get transformed from slaves to free in every single one of these areas, when we baptize ourselves into, relation, into, the, into suffering and we have this relationship that just burns us and hurts us, what do you think Paul did? I've got these thorns in my flesh. Those were relationships. What is God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. Well, thanks, God. No, because in that process, I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you through that process, through faith, because you know that I've got you in this. Gary, I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Keep going. So let's look at this text. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child... And the word there is napos, or napios, which means a, a baby in, in a nappy. Just think nappy. Na, na, napios, nappy. is no different from a slave. 
though he is the owner of everything. So, so you've got little Zoe Stavro over there, who's still in nappies. She's got an inheritance from Steve and Helen, but she is a napios. She's not come to a place where she can grab a hold of the inheritance God has for her. So she's no different from a slave, but she's the owner. But he is under the guardians and managers until the dates set by the Father. Remember that appointment that I was talking about? Jesus had many appointments. Mount of Transfiguration. The moment where he got baptized. The moment where um, he did his first miracle. The appointed times where God comes and starts to move through us. In the same way, we also, when we were children. Again, you see the Greek doesn't. When we were babies. When we were in nappies. When we were napios. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, the appointed time, God sent forth his son, Huios. Huios means mature son, a son who has come of age, who now grabs a hold of the inheritance from his father, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoptions as Huios, mature sons. And because we are mature sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, a mature son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer slaves, but a huios, a mature son. And if a mature son, a huios, then we are heir of what God has for us. Just think about, and I know that was a long text, but what God is saying to us is you cannot inherit if you are still a little baby, when you are still in nappies. And I've sent my son so that you can come into a place of maturity, that you train, you train in your spiritual formation, and you'll become an appointed time where I will bring you into an inheritance or part thereof. And then you will train and you will train and you will train. And then I will raise up a maturity in you through your training so that I can bring you into a place of maturity as a son so that I can give what I've always wanted to give to you is your inheritance here on earth. For the Israelites, it was the land. Isn't it a crazy thing that only two out of all of those million people walked in? Two. Caleb and Joshua. Everyone else died there because they didn't have the faith to be transformed into what God had done in their lives. We are children of God. The Spirit speaks that to us. That's how we know. And we have been moved from a place of slavery into a place of freedom, but there's a place of inheritance that God wants to take us into. And God is calling us to mature, to come and to live into what He has for us, to live into His grace. If we're still living under law, and we're doing this because we keep trying, and we keep going, oh, we can't make it, or, oh, I made it, so I'm really good, better than you. Well, we're never going to mature, are we? Because we're not under the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit Himself. So how do we do this, guys and girls? We have these moments, Sundays. How do you baptize yourself into community? Well, we have these moments. You guys are here. I'm speaking to the converted, as it were. But it's a giving of yourself. It's a serving. Because when you baptize yourself and there's a baptism, you know what gets transformed is your careers. What are you saying, Gary? Well, no, because you're coming... And you're giving of yourself. You're giving of yourself freely of your time, your efforts, your money, your, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's probably one of the areas where you will be tested on the most. But you give of yourself into what God is building. And you know what He does? He elevates you in your career. The unfortunate thing is, often what happens is people come and they serve in the local body. Their careers get elevated and they go, oh, no, I'm too busy. And then they wonder why it becomes such a struggle and strain. They are testimonies of testimonies, when people come and give themselves and baptize themselves into the community and come and serve and love on and be within the community, that their careers take off and they're able to do both with ease. 
both with these. What about, the thing is, we're not going to achieve a maturity and a full baptism here, are we? We've come, we've worshipped, everyone arrived, we went into worship. Maybe if you were here earlier, we prayed. We, we go and have tea and coffee afterwards and all those good stuff and something to eat, and then we all go home. We're not going to build community like that. It's part of building community, but we're not going to build community like that. So that's why we have life groups during the week. And life groups are where you sit and you share your lives with other people and you live out your life with other people because it's to you all. <laughs> I say to you all, get baptized into a local community. Love on each other. Be there for each other. Because that's with the context of a Sunday, serving and giving into the context of a local community, you start to mature and God brings you to that appointed time to release you into those things in your career. You come with your tithes and your offerings and you give it in. And I know sometimes most of that's on the internet, but you hear what I'm saying. And there was an unknown quote that the people who enjoy church the most are those that come early and serve and give to the community. You will only get out of Lifehouse community or whatever community you're in, how much you put in. It's as simple as that. And you're saying, well, Gary, do you want, do you want a following of Jesus? And you're saying that the hodas of Jesus, the, the way of Jesus is to give my whole life. And, and Yes. And not just because I'm the pastor. It's because that's what we've been designed for. It's how kingdom, how life ought to be lived. It's why we're doing this series. Now, I know we've got work, we've got family, and yes, there's those moments, but actually it shouldn't be a hobby. It should be the engine room. It should be the thing that which we live out our lives from on a Sunday and during the week, loving on each other, because there's a gravitational pull in our culture that is against us. And it's continuing. And you know what? Not just in the world, but in the church itself, where people are pulling out of church because, ah, oh, church hurt me or whatever the case is. Yeah, she's a bride that's marred, but let's make her a bride that's perfect and spotless, the one that Jesus is coming back for. So how is your hodas? Are you on it? Maybe you were on it and you're no longer anymore. Maybe he has an opportunity to, to jump onto the hodas of Jesus right now. Maybe you've tried it many times. Well, maybe stop trying and maybe start training. Maybe just start with a few spiritual practices, journal a little bit. Maybe some silence and solitude. Maybe start to engender a Sabbath in your week where you rest in Him and rest into the rhythms of what He has for us. But most importantly, can I ask you that you, when you understand what we've sung and what we've done, and if the musos can come up, is that you baptize yourself into community by faith, and there's a transformation in who you are and in your career. And when things get really tough, the community's there for you. And when things get really tough for somebody else, you're there for them. You know, on 94.7, I would hate to ride that race on my own. I know guys do that. I, I couldn't do that. It's like playing golf on your own. Hey, Greg? I mean, I don't know if you can do that, but you hit this great shot and you go, oh, did you see that? And went, no, there's no one there to watch. No, you want to you do it with people. We want we, we to build this building which God, I believe, is going to presence himself. Not that he doesn't hear, but hear what I'm saying. But we want to do it together. We want to go and go, wow, check at this. Just talk to God be the glory because of what he's done. Because the prophetic word was to move from David's tabernacle to the temple through our worship, which we're going to do now. Why? Because God's going to establish us there because of our hearts that are engaged towards him because we're on the way of Jesus, the hodas of Jesus. And we've baptized ourselves into the community as part of that way. Watch your careers take off. Watch your careers take off when you baptize yourself. In the, and don't do it just because you want your career to take off. That won't work, trust me. 
It's like selling a car and you're going to walk to work the rest of the year. Just because, not sell your car, give your car away. It's because you, you want something to happen. You want a better car. Do it because it's part of, okay, God, I, this morning as Gary spoke and I realized I, I haven't been on your way, Lord. I can't describe myself like Paul as somebody who, who, who is a follower of your way. And, and I see your way and I don't fully understand it yet, but in community, I know that that's going to start to unfold and I'm going to start to see that. And so I'm going to prioritize being in community on a Sunday during the week. And maybe you're not part of a life group, but then just engage people in your home and do dining room Christianity and share a meal with them. Take a meal across and eat it with them for an hour and go home if you're under time, time constraints. But if you're going to allow this world to pull you away from that, then life's going to be hard and you're going to keep trying and keep failing. And then you're going to go, ah, Christianity doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you're not on the whole dust. <laughs> you're not on the way of Jesus. So let's get on. Let's stand.